through Revelation over the last few weeks and months, and uh, last week we finally, finally made it to the end, that awesome final chapter where we have that amazing, amazing vision of, uh, of Eden, the Garden of Eden being restored, paradise again, the river of life flowing from the city of God and wherever it flows, there is life. And uh, we, we've come now to, to a new series, and over these next few weeks and months, uh, we're going to be looking at this topic of vision. Um, and and the, 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 the series of Revelation kind of feeds really perfectly into it. What better vision to have than the vision of that which is painted in Revelation? What is Revelation? It's, it's vision. It's, it's a revealing of, of what is to come, of Jesus on the throne, high and lifted up, the Alpha and the Omega, where we get to be with him for eternity, where all things are made new. What better vision to take forward than that? And uh, let me just explain a little bit about sort of our, our hope for these next few weeks and months and, and what we're doing. Um, as, as a leadership team, uh, we've kind of embarked on something called Lead Academy, which is uh, a two-year learning community. Uh, and over that two years, uh, Phil, Ed, and myself, and sort of a rotation of one or two of the deacons, uh, are going away for kind of like two-day blocks. So each year we have two two-day blocks. So over the two years we have four. Um, and we had the first one just just a month ago, a month or two ago. Um, a really, really good time. Uh, and, and the topic for the first one was all about culture, church culture. Um, and, and how can we see the culture of a church changed so that the barriers to us growing can be pulled away and pulled down? Because if we're, if we're a living being, which we should be as the body of Christ, then living things grow So we've been looking at what are those barriers that get in the way of us growing, both in depth in our own relationships with Christ, but also in terms of other people being brought in and finding hope in Jesus. So we looked at this whole issue of culture at the first one, and we did a whole bunch of activities. It wasn't just people speaking at us, uh, but them getting us to do activities in our our leadership groups to kind of really grapple with what God uh, might be saying to us as a church. And... uh, I wonder if I were to ask you, what is the culture of, of Chip and Camden Baptist Church? I wonder what kind of response you'd give. Uh, maybe you'd say we kind of have a really friendly and welcoming culture. Maybe you'd say we have a culture of serving. I don't know. Or one of the things we hear from the front regularly is that we're trying to make uh, a culture of invitation where we can invite people along to events to hear, hear the good news of Jesus. Um, how would you say, what would you say is the culture of this church? Um, the thing that really struck us as leaders, I think, as we kind of began to think about these things, is that culture is very much determined by our vision. Culture is very much determined by that which we see and that which we're moving towards. And it shapes the way that we do life together as a body. And, and a question for us Do we have a truly Jesus-shaped culture? Is our culture as a body, as a church in this place, a truly Jesus-shaped culture? And in many respects, I look at I look at this church, at God's church in this place, and I think that's amazing. Jesus clearly is shaping his people to be like him. But I'm also very aware that there's all sorts of things 
in our, in our culture as a body that haven't necessarily come from Jesus. And so what, what else is shaping our culture? What else is influencing that? You've all heard the saying, haven't you? Uh, uh, you are what you eat. And uh, similarly, I've got a, a, a book on my bookshelf which is titled, uh, We Become What We Worship. And kind of similarly, I kind of want to suggest that what we look at, what we focus on, becomes our primary vision. And therefore, it shapes our culture and who we become as a body and how we do life together. And so as as leaders haven't been away and spent a bit of time grappling with this, we felt really, really challenged by God that that we need to work through uh, our church vision. Uh, You know, we see it in the contact sheet every week, don't we? Those points of what we believe as a church that we are called to to be by God. And we're going to spend these next few weeks and months just uh, bit by bit gradually working through that vision, which we believe God gave us as a church probably 15 years or so ago when, when Cornerstone was first kind of established and that vision we believe God God gave us as a church. Now, if I were to ask you, uh, what is that vision of the church? What is that vision which you see written in the contact sheet every week? I wonder whether you can answer. Let's have a bit of audience participation. No cheating and looking at your contact sheets. Okay. Or over there, yes. Blind it. No looking. Right. Who can tell me what they are? What might be the first thing of our vision? Proclaiming Jesus Christ to people today. Yes, excellent. Secondly, making disciples. What are you looking at? You're looking on the laptop, aren't you, you cheat? <laughs> number three. Can you remember what number three is? That, that is one of them. That's not the next one, but can anyone remember? That's also one of them. Building God's kingdom. Yes. Excellent. Um, and as part of that, we've kind of broken it up, and we've actually uh, we've, we've incorporated this as part of it, that we're going to be praying for revival as part of building God's kingdom and seeing it established. Um, we've heard the other two already. Uh, the fifth one is uh, planting churches. Uh, we have a real vision for that, as we've seen already, with Bidford being planted, with Shipston being planted. Um, and uh, at the moment, we feel God calling us to grow sort of numerically here uh, and, and, and as a church in this place. Hence, we've moved from the building down on the high street to here. But that's still very much part of our vision. Um, and finally, we've heard that uh, reaching the nations, uh, that we as a people of God, when we embody everything that he has for us, that actually we can achieve way more than we reckon we can. And we have uh, the ability to, to impact the nations. So we're going to spend the next few sort of weeks and months just gradually working through these things and unpacking it and kind of getting to the, to the understanding of what does that actually really mean for us. Um, but you might kind of say, why, why bother with that? Why spend so much time in it? I mean, we see it written on the contact sheet each, each week, don't we? So why do we really need to spend so much time with it? But, but actually, I want to suggest that, that we cannot spend enough time in this. We cannot spend enough time looking at the vision which we believe God has given us. Because vision is of utmost importance. It is absolutely crucial. We really cannot overemphasize 
the vision, if we believe it is a vision that God has given us, if we really want to gain and maintain a truly Jesus-shaped culture, a truly Jesus-shaped way of doing life together as church in this place, as his body, then we at least need to perceive in what that looks like, even if not in whole, at least in part of what that is going to look like. And so therefore, I don't think we can overemphasize this stuff. We can't kind of over-egg it. If it's a vision from God, it needs repeating endlessly time and time and time again. Why? Because we're simple beings and we so easily forget, don't we? We so easily forget and get distracted and therefore end up having our sight taken off it and we end up getting out of focus. Just like with the Israelites. Israelites, again and again and again and again, God said the same thing. If you read through the Old Testament, which I encourage you to all be reading through your Bibles again and again, you get a bit bored halfway through the Old Testament. Flipping heck, the millionth time that God's told these guys to live his way and they'll have blessing. Do they get it? No, they keep on forgetting because they're simple beings. And just like them, we're simple beings. I include myself in that. I'm a very simple being. We forget and we cannot overemphasize a vision that we believe God has given us. Vision is not something which is dead. Vision needs to be kept alive, otherwise it's no vision at all. Vision isn't just a dusty document. It's not just a meaningless mantra that we recite again and again. It's a bit like the Lord's Prayer. When, if, if, how many of you had to say the Lord's Prayer when you were at school as a kid? And it got to the point, So for, I know for so many of us, it gets to the point where you recite it again and again. You forget about the meaning and the content. You just roll it off and you think, oh, boring again. We did the Lord's Prayer at, at the youth group the other day. And they're like, oh, not again. Oh, this is so boring. But actually, we began to unpack it and realize that there's so much within it. But it's not just a mantra, it has to become a living thing. If vision dies, then so do we. If we have no vision, we're going nowhere and we die. One of the Hebrew words uh, in the Old Testament um, that we, we see used for vision is this word here, and it's chazon. Now, I dare you to try and say that to your, part, to your, to your person next to you without hocking and spitting at them. Chazon. <laughs> and... Uh, It it literally means this. Um, The New Strong's Concise Dictionary of Words Found in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, It says, uh, it's a dream, a revelation, or an oracle. Or the even more geeky one, if you want to be a scholar, in the Brown Driver Briggs Hebrew Lexicon, which is what all the the proper academics use. It says, it's uh, divine communication in a vision, oracle, or prophecy. And we see this word, chazon, appear 34 times in the Old Testament. Um, And the the most known place in which we find it is in Proverbs 29, uh, verse 18. And uh, I'm just going to give you a few modern translations of this verse. Because as you read in one translation, it's... You begin to see there's a big variation in what's being said. Uh, But let me just show you. So, uh, the, the, the... NIV says, where there is no revelation, where there is no chazon, the people cast off restraint. Um, The King James Version, this is probably the most famous uh, version of this verse that we know it as. uh, Where there is no vision, chazon, the people perish. The New Living Translation, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. 
uh, God's words translation. Uh, Without prophetic vision, people run wild. The New Revised Standard Version. uh, Where there is no prophecy, the people cast off restraint. And then in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the message, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. There's a huge variety in the way that that's translated. But here's the point in all of it. No matter how you translate that word in terms of all those versions that you've seen up there, there's a clear kind of message coming across, isn't there? That without chazon, without vision or revelation or divine guidance or prophetic utterance coming from God and his word, without that, people are going to be confused and scattered and unfocused and easily distracted. Without chazon, we are going to become those things. We're going to become distracted. We're going to become inward-looking. We're going to become scattered and unfocused and confused. Uh, A few weeks ago, uh, I discovered that the front tires on my car were horrendously illegally bald. Um, Outsides of the front tires, absolutely fine, amazing tread. But the inside... Unbelievably bald to the point the metal spikes were sticking out. It looked fine on the outside, honestly, so I hadn't noticed. <laughs> and it turned out that, that my wheels were horrendously misaligned, which is why it caused it. Um, you, you kind of think, now this is probably going to be a bad reflection on me, you'd kind of think that it was beginning to get a little bit more difficult to steer and keeping a straight line should have been an indicator to me. Um, but I don't really think about those kind of things. And amazingly, once I spent the money on replacing those tyres, I've got this little gadget. How many of you have got little computer devices in your cars and you can flick through seeing your mileage rate and all of that? It's great fun, isn't it? Like, how, how much can I get out of this drive? Anyway, so flicking through, my, my, my fuel consumption, like, I was using way less fuel for my journeys as soon as I put these new tyres on. And it's a bit like that, isn't it, when we lose a real clear sense of vision. We can kind of be driving along, doing loads of stuff, Loads of activity, even church activity. Church activity, that must be good. We can be doing loads of stuff, but actually become increasingly uh, aware that we're struggling to keep going in the same direction. It gradually gets harder and harder to keep going in the same direction. That, that over time, things, it just becomes harder and harder work to keep going and to keep maintaining the stuff that we're doing. And, and we find ourselves just gradually being more and more easily pulled off course, off track of what God had originally been calling us to do. And it's a bit like the tires on misaligned, tire, on misaligned wheels that we get worn out as vision gets out of focus and fades. And just like my tires, maybe everything looks fine on the outside, but actually... On the inside, there's no sense of purpose and direction. It's been worn out. It's been worn away. And we just end up frustrated and disillusioned and critical. Just like the Israelites in the desert. 
who ended up just wandering again and again because God had revealed himself. God had given them his word. And yet again and again, they kept wandering away from it. And what happened to them? They ended up just scattered against each other, fed up, miserable. I'm going to skip the next little bit. We haven't really got time to go through it all. But uh, another place uh, in the Old Testament where we see this, this word chazon appearing, we find it in Habakkuk uh, chapter 2, both in verse 2 and verse 3. And it, again, it's in the context, uh, it's in the context uh, of vision being revealed by God. And uh, we see again and again in the scriptures uh, that when God reveals vision, he so often tells the prophet, write this down, record it, make a record of what I am saying, make a record of this vision so that you can go over it again and again so it doesn't die, but you're reminded of it constantly. And uh, we see that here in Habakkuk 2, 2-3. to It says, Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. And there's kind of two major points that I want to draw out of this. Uh, And the first point, we look at this. We see in verse 3, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come and will not delay. The vision that God had given Habakkuk, he's saying to him, it's a revelation of the end. It's a vision of what will come at the end. It is not here yet, but it is coming. Wait for it. But in the midst of that waiting, what does he tell him beforehand in verse 2? Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Or as we see at the bottom here, this little footnote A, it can also be translated also that whoever reads it may run with it. And what is God saying? He's saying this vision that he's giving to Habakkuk, it is a vision of something that is to come. It is a vision of the end. And yet, it is very much a vision which is to shape the here and the now. Even though it's something for the future, it shapes the now. That it's to be written down and people, so that people can grab hold of it and run with it. It's a vision for the now, even though it's of something in the future. It's a vision of tomorrow, shaping today. And, and it's kind of why I said, this, this, this series on vision is a perfect continuation from, from the series on Revelation. Because what is Revelation other than a vision of the end? A vision of the hope of that which, we're going to be, which we are called to, where one day we will be with Jesus in that perfect place of holiness, where there's no more sickness, no more death, no more pain, no more tears. That vision of Jesus, that vision of Jesus in heaven, that vision of restoration, And why are we given it? We're given it so that we can live with the end in mind, so that we can allow it to shape the here and the now, to shape today, to shape our lives together as a people now. 
And uh, it's, it's all about seeing what is not yet. It's like Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says we're to live by faith and not by sight. Not just what we physically see in front of us and the situations we find ourselves caught in, but actually by faith seeing that vision that we are called to, that will be ours, our hope of being with Christ in eternity. But actually that vision shaping us in the here and the now. So first, I'm going to make three points about this first point. When, when we begin with the end in mind, it helps us to see not just what's kind of physically in front of us, not just to be caught up in the circumstances we find ourselves in in life, but actually when we begin with the end in mind, it helps us to see God's preferred future for individuals. It helps us to see God's preferred future uh, for, for our families, God's preferred future for our work colleagues, God's preferred future for our communities, God's preferred future for our schools, God's preferred future for this place, for this church. When we have the end in mind, it helps us to see that. And uh, one of my favourite films is uh, Cool Runnings. Anyone ever seen Cool Runnings? Classic old film. It's kind of all about... Uh, seeing what others don't necessarily see. He stands in front of the mirror and he says to him, what do you see? Who do you see? And he didn't see in himself anything much. And yet this other guy saw in him so much more than he saw in himself. Actually, do we, do we see God's preferred future for other people? Because when we begin with the end in mind, we will see God's preferred future for people. I'm going to embarrass her. I'm going to embarrass Vanessa. She doesn't know I'm going to do this. But uh, Vanessa, Vanessa really inspires me. And uh, uh, I hope she doesn't mind me saying, but she, she does a whole lot of prison work. And, uh, and, and, and she goes into prisons and she gets alongside uh, the guys there and, and encourages them and works with them. And you might think, why on earth would anybody want to go and willingly get alongside murderers or rapists or thieves? Why would you want to risk your own self going into those situations? Why would you want to do that? And I know, I know for Vanessa, it's because she has seen God's preferred future for those people. And she's got her at God's heart for those people. That where most of society has rejected them and said, there's nothing for you. Just, just sit there and rot until you die. Someone's got hold of God's preferred future for those people. And it's what happens when we get vision. It's what happens when we begin with the end in mind. Also, when we begin with the end in mind, it determines what we do in the present. You're kind of all aware, aren't you? Steve Jobs, uh, the main guy of Apple, who, uh, who passed away not that long ago. And uh, I came across this quote of his, uh, which... I guess many of you have probably seen if you if you read the papers, uh, but I was really struck by what he said uh, in terms of what motivated him in what he did. And he said this, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of death, uh, all fear of embarrassment or, or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. 
Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. Having the end in mind shapes the now. And you kind of think, wow, isn't that incredible that this guy, so much of his creative potential was released because he had the end in mind. Now for him, the end in mind was simply that he was going to die and that he wanted to max out his potential before he died. For us, we have an even greater end in mind if we choose to fix our eyes on it. We have the most incredible hope of what it is going to be in the end. And if we fix our eyes on that, if we allow that to be our vision, then it's going to shape what we do in the present. It's going to change what we do now. It can't help but do that. Um, one of the points we saw on our slide, which we hear again and again, we said we want to pray for revival. And we say as a church again and again, we, we're believing, we want to see revival in the Cotswolds. If we're truly beginning with the end in mind, and if we truly have a vision for revival in the Cotswolds, then we're not just going to sit on it and do nothing. It's going to shape what we do in the here and the now. It's going to shape us to the point that we're not just going to sit and wait. We're going to cry out to God for it and cry out in desperation like we've never done before. We're going to get out and we're going to start telling people about Jesus and we're going to start loving on people like Jesus would, like there's no tomorrow. If we truly have that vision, if we truly believe that is God's vision for this place. And it will shape the, what we do in the now. It has to. So it gives us God's preferred future for individuals. It determines what we do in the present. And it enables perseverance through trials. Uh, Phil mentioned it, didn't he, last week, that one of, the, uh, one of the things of Revelation was just the incredible hope that it brought to those who were in suffering and and, uh, facing trials and the martyrs throughout history who have died for Christ, that the hope of what is revealed in Revelation was true hope for them to keep them going. You remember Stephen uh, in the book of Acts, uh, one of the first martyrs that we come across. You remember the story of him being dragged out and being stoned? Um, he, He had a vision and he said in front of all the guys, I've had a vision, I've had a vision of heaven. I've had a vision of God's glory. I've had a vision of Jesus sat at the right hand of the Father. And then the guys dragged him out and began to stone him to death. But in the midst of that being stoned, totally unjustly, totally unfairly, he says this, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. How was it that he was able to stand firm? How was it that he was able to say that in the midst of of, of being killed? It was because he had that vision. He had the vision of the end in mind and it enabled him to go through that suffering for the sake of Christ. Again, another awesome role model, Paul the Apostle. If you think you've been through trials, listen to this list of his trials in uh, in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I've worked hard, been in prison frequently, been flogged severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, 
in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Doesn't that put us to shame when we think about moaning about all the stuff that we face? Has anyone, can anyone put their hand up and say they've been through all of that? No. And yet Paul, we see the way he stood for Christ and everything that he did. One of the greatest role models that we have of a man grabbing hold of vision and running with it. But that is it. It was vision that enabled him to keep going. We see in Philippians 3.14, he says this, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He had a vision and he knew what the end was. He was called to be with Christ. He was called heavenward. He said himself elsewhere, his citizenship is in heaven. Do you know that? As we've read through the book of Revelation, have you grasped hold of that? Have you grasped hold of the hope to which you're called? And are you now allowing that to be the thing which shapes who you are now? And for us as a church, shaping who we are now, beginning with the end in mind, it enables us to persevere through all trials and sufferings. And the second point I want to draw from that Habakkuk passage Look back at that verse, uh, those two verses. Uh, Read that last verse, verse three. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. You see footnote B down here. Uh, The Hebrew can be rendered, it can be translated. uh, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though he linger, Wait for him. He will certainly come and will not delay. I'm not the best of Bible scholars, but I know that you can render it like that. I know that you can translate it like that. And I know Habakkuk here, this vision he's having, it speaks of the end and will not prove false. Does that kind of remind you of something? Does it remind you what is the end? If we can translate it, he will not linger. Wait for him, he will certainly come. Who are we waiting for? We're waiting for Jesus. We're waiting for Jesus to come again and to bring that restoration. And this is the second point from that, from that verse. That ultimately, our vision mustn't be a thing, mustn't be a bunch of cleverly crafted words to sound good that we can recite off the tip of our tongue but our vision must be a person. And that vision, that person has to be Jesus and nobody else. Last Sunday afternoon, I had the privilege of being invited over to, uh, to Gruby near Leicester. And they asked me to speak on the really simple topic of heaven and hell. Um, and, uh, and, and as I started to think about it and started to prepare for it, I was really struck that in the Gospels, in the story of Jesus, that he spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. 
In fact, he went to great pains to, to paint a really vivid image of hell, which is something which can't leave us comfortable. He paints this very vivid picture of hell as being a very real place of punishment and separation from God, of darkness and eternal torment, a lake of fire where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And as I kind of looked at it, I thought, I was initially kind of shocked. Why would Jesus spend so much time painting that picture and yet not really spending so much time painting a picture of heaven? And I kind of began to grapple with that a little bit. I was like, what is that all about? And then, and then the penny kind of suddenly dropped. And it suddenly dawned on me that Jesus himself is our vision of heaven. Jesus is our vision of heaven, embodied. Jesus is the one who brings good news to the poor. Jesus is the one who releases the captive. Jesus is the one who gives sight to the blind. Jesus is the one who lets the oppressed go free. Jesus is the one who proclaims favor. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father in heaven. He's our vision of the Father in heaven. He is our vision of heaven. If we want to know what heaven looks like, look at Jesus. He is our vision of heaven. So if Jesus is our ultimate vision, then any vision that we have that doesn't stem from that, that doesn't stem from that ultimate vision of Jesus, it may seem good and it may seem exciting, but ultimately, if it's not a vision, uh, our, the vision that we have for our lives and our church, if it's not a vision that ultimately stems from the, from the final vision of Jesus on his throne, then ultimately it's a waste of time and effort in the eternal scheme. And so as, as the Baptist Church here in Camden, uh, we believe we have a vision. We have a vision of what God is calling us to be and a vision of what he's calling us to be and to do as local church in this place, as a body of believers in this area. But we believe that that vision stems ultimately from a vision of Jesus, from a vision of Jesus in heaven on his throne. One of my kind of heroes of faith who, who has a vision. That's, uh, that was Heidi Baker and in Mozambique. Many of you are aware of her work. Heidi had a vision, she said there, she had a vision in Mozambique of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of children. And as she saw that vision of them in poverty with no food and no clothes, that vision overwhelmed her. And you hear her speaking, she says again and again, overwhelming, I said, no, Jesus, no, I'm one woman, what can I do? Why give me a vision of so many people? I'm one person, I can't do anything. But what did she say? That overwhelming vision became a vision which was possible because trumping it was that ultimate vision of Jesus. She said, that vision of Jesus said, I died for you so that there will always be enough. I've died for you so that there will always be enough. A vision which isn't overwhelming in our own strength is not a vision worth living for. If it's a vision that can be accomplished without the ultimate vision of Jesus, it's not a vision that's come from Jesus. 
Now for Heidi, her vision was hundreds of thousands of children in poverty in Mozambique. That was where she was at. But it was trumped by that ultimate vision of Jesus. For us, we're not necessarily called to hundreds of thousands of children in Mozambique. But our vision is ultimately the same as hers. Our ultimate vision has to be of Jesus. And the practical outworking of what that means, the practical outworking of that vision in this location is what we believe God gave us 15 years ago, is what we read out on the screen a while ago. And that is why we want to spend these next few weeks just going through it bit by bit by bit until it becomes a vision that's living within us as a church, until it becomes a vision that's no longer a statement on a screen, but is something that's embodied by us as a people, not just by one or two individuals, not just by the leadership team, but by the church, the body in this place, till we're living it and we're breathing it, and it becomes a reality that pulls others along to that ultimate vision of Jesus. We're going we're gonna to do that over the next few weeks, just work through the, the stuff that we saw on the screen. But I really feel that there's, there's kind of specific stuff that we need to respond to this morning. And uh, I feel there's, there's, there's things that we need to respond to at, kind of in our own hearts as individuals relating to this whole thing of vision um, before we then come and think collectively and corporately about how we work vision out together as a body. And I I think there's there's almost baggage that we need to let go of in terms of vision so that we can, as a body, then come together and take on the vision that God's given us as a church. I feel, feel, as I prayed in the week, I really felt God kind of impress on me that... um, there's a number of us here who feel like we've lost an intentional direction and purpose in who we are and what we're doing. Um, maybe you've just never had any vision in the first place, but actually uh, the, the thing I really feel God putting on my heart for, for many of us is that uh, we've had a sense of purpose and vision for a particular place or a particular people or a particular uh, circumstance. We've had a vision in the past but we kind of feel like it's faded or that it's no longer relevant for where we're at. And uh, rather, rather than our eyes then shifting back to the ultimate vision of Jesus, we've kind of almost allowed ourselves to kind of get into a bit of a state of kind of like, well, that vision's disappeared. God's left me. What's he done? Where's the purpose for my life? And it's not like we've done it deliberately at all. It's been almost subconscious. But that we've almost idolised the working out of the ultimate vision as becoming the main thing of our lives. I've got a particular purpose in this little area and this is what God's called me to. And we've almost made that the main thing to the point that when that vision has disappeared or no longer relevant or faded, we've kind of come really disappointed. And we find ourselves a bit like the Israelites Okay, we know vaguely as a church uh, we come and we vaguely walk towards Jesus, but actually we've kind of lost a sense of purpose and we just feel like almost as if life 
is kind of carrying us along and we're just making do with it rather than having the end in mind and being able to see the stuff of the daily stuff being shaped by that ultimate vision. And, and I believe actually there's many of us who need to respond to that of saying, almost in the dulled sense, there's a disappointment in our hearts. And perhaps even for some of us, there's a disillusionment. We think about disillusion. Disillusionment only ever comes because we've believed in an illusion. Because we've almost allowed the kind of working out of the ultimate vision to become the ultimate thing. And then when that's kind of faded, rather than going back and seeking the ultimate vision and getting our eyes fixed on Jesus more than anything else and getting the end in mind again, we've almost allowed the here and the now to begin to shape what we're doing. And I really believe we need to respond to that. Why, Why don't we all stand? And let's just wait on God for a moment. And I want to, let's just come honestly and humbly before God and ask him to begin to, to begin to open our hearts up to that. And I really believe we need to respond. So Father, we, we thank you. We thank you that you've revealed yourself in the most incredible way through the person of Jesus. We thank you that we have that ultimate vision in you. And we pray now by your spirit, would you come and would you be at work in us? Would you come and be prompting us? Would you become an opening our hearts to you? We want to be open to what you're doing. Lord, we pray that you would come and minister into our lives. That where our ultimate focus has almost shifted from you or has become blurry. Would you convict us of that, Lord? Will you show us that?